But we are glad you guys are here today. And if you were here last week, we had a, really a, a great day. Had a, a guest worship leader that was here who was uh, not only leading worship, but talking to us about the ministry of Compassion International. And, uh, and we just want to celebrate that a little bit. Last weekend, you guys, we because of your generosity and being willing to step up, we were uh, able to sponsor 22 kids last weekend. So we're really excited about that. Thank you all for being a part of that. Really, really good stuff. Really life-changing. And, uh, and one, one other thing I want to announce here. We love, we, we've been talking to you about uh, for the past few weeks, or the past couple of months, and we've been in the midst of a search for a new student minister. And we're excited to announce we've hired someone. His name is Riley Reinhardt. And I, he's actually here today. I'm going to invite him to come up and join me on stage real quick. So we're, we're really excited to have Riley joining the staff. Now, we're going to be doing something special. For those of you that, if you have students that are in uh, middle school or high school, next Sunday is actually going to be Riley's first Sunday on staff. And we're going to have just a really kind of a special little meet and greet at the very beginning of student group. So from 530 to 6, if you want to bring your student, uh, stick around. We're going to have a bonfire and s'mores and hamburgers, hot dogs, cowboy beans, a bunch of stuff. And you can stick around for a little bit and meet Riley. Of course, you can meet him today, too, and, uh, and just kind of get a little feel. But we really want to challenge you. Bring, those, bring the students next weekend. It's going to be an awesome day. Of course, we're going to have a student group tonight as well. But uh, really excited and wanted to have a prayer with Riley as he begins his ministry here. So let's pray. Lord, we're, just, uh, we're so thankful that you have brought this, this man here uh, to, to work with our young people and, and to love them and to share the love of Christ with them. Lord, I pray that you would bless him as he begins the work, that you'd work through him. Father, we pray for our students. Uh, we pray for the students that are, that are here. We also pray for those that are not here, that we know that you're calling us to reach. And pray that you'd use Riley and our volunteers. We're so grateful for the wonderful people that are here that work so, uh, so selflessly uh, to help our, our, uh, our young people know Jesus. Just pray that you'd help them uh, in every way and, and help us as a church to to step up and to support them in every way that we can as well so that we can do things with excellence and all of it in, in an effort to point people to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Riley. So be sure to give him a round of applause and, and meet him today. I'm going to say, a new guy is supposed to preach, Riley, so you come on. No. <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm just messing. We, uh, we are uh, we're in this series, as Phil mentioned, this series in Philippians called Deeper Joy. Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this book, he is in prison at the time. And, uh, and he's sitting there and he writes this letter and the overflowing theme of it is rejoicing and joy. And he sits down really to write a, a field guide on joy. That, that must mean, for a guy to be in that circumstance, it must mean that you can have joy regardless of what your circumstances are. Because a lot of people that, you know, we, and I've said the same kind of things. It's like, I can't be happy right now. I can't be joyful right now because of X, Y, Z, whatever's going on in my life. It's not true. It's simply not true. And that's what we're discovering as we're going through this is regardless of what's happening in your life, if your joy is in the Lord, you, you, can, you can be a joyful person. So this is week four for us. We're in the second half of Philippians chapter two. And if you've, if you've missed a week or two, I really would encourage you to go back. Uh, you can go on our website or YouTube or wherever and find the messages and, and catch up. 
Uh, it's, it's not too late, and, and hopefully a lot of you are in small groups, and we're going deeper there. It's been a great experience, but my, my goal for all of us is if you hang with us for the next few weeks, you're going to have a really good grasp on the book of Philippians and really understanding what does this letter mean, who was it written to, and how does it apply for us today, because I really believe it has the power to change your life. I've noticed even in my own life, as I've been studying it, you know, in preparation for these messages we're sharing, I'm noticing a lot more joy in my own life, and a lot more contentment, a lot more peace. Megan and I were talking about that just the, the other day, and, and the reason that we're talking about joy, and the reason we decided to go here in the first place is because everybody wants a piece of that. Everybody I know wants a little more joy, but it can seem a little bit elusive. Like, how do I, how do I find it? But, but I believe we can find it where we least expect it. And last week we talked about humility and controlling our grumbling. I hope you are working on that. I don't know. It's, it's a challenge. It seems like every time I preach on a topic, that's the week that I, I'm kind of put to the test with it. So this week I was trying my hardest. I got to rein it in. Not, try not to grumble, Brandon. Try not to grumble when you sit in traffic. And this week I sat at that exit on New Cut Road. And I'm telling you, every day I had a car. And I thought about you guys every time. Like I, got, I, can't, I can't grumble. But we were working to not have a grumbling spirit. We'll see that again in just a few minutes. But first Paul says this. I'm going to hit these couple of verses. And we'll kind of come back to them throughout the message today. But he says... In chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Just underline that phrase in your mind because we're going to come back to that. That's a tricky phrase there. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I mentioned that that line's tricky. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. At first glance, it almost sounds like, uh, it almost sounds like he's saying, work hard to save yourself. You know, make sure you're working really hard so that you can be saved. If you've ever been over to uh, Cave Hill Cemetery, you know, if you've been over there, you know it's it's really a beautiful place. If you haven't been, you ought to go drive through there sometimes. Huge. You see all the tombstones, you know, the burial places of a lot of people, but, uh, you know, particularly a lot of famous individuals. I I drove the kids back there one day. We are like, look, guys, there's Colonel Sanders' grave, you know. There's the chicken guy out there, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of an interesting, interesting way to spend a, an hour or so. But one of them, one of the famous individuals that's buried there, you probably know, is Muhammad Ali. And uh, his tombstone, maybe you've seen it, but this is what it looks like and what it says on it. It says that service to others is the rent you pay for your room in heaven. And that sounds really nice. Service to others is the rent you pay for your, your spot in heaven. Sounds like maybe, maybe that's right. Is, is that right? Is that true? And yet that, that is not at all what Jesus said. That's not at all what Jesus said. And it's not what Paul is saying here. To understand this, you know, what, does it, what does it mean? Work hard to show the results of your salvation. We, we've got to have a little bit of context. So I'm going to get a little bit 
nerdy on you for a second, a little history stuff, but I think this is really important for us to know uh, so that we can understand this verse. In this day, there were people, there was a group of people who were trying to tell these new believers, these new Christians, how they were supposed to live. And they were, they were Jewish people who had become Christians. They were former Jews, that, that Jewish Christians, right? They'd been converted to, they were following Christ. And what they were doing is they were telling the Gentile Christians that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to do it like this. And there were a lot of different issues, but the main one that kept popping up over and over again, we're going to see this in a couple of weeks, was circumcision. They said, listen, you cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ if you're not circumcised. And so these Gentile Christians are like, what, why do we have to do this? And, and it's because this is our tradition, you know, maybe you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, tradition. You know, it's part of, they're like, this is, this is the way that we've done things, so this is the way that you have to do things. And Paul actually in chapter 3 calls, so these people, these Jewish Christians, they're known as the Judaizers. And in chapter 3, Paul actually calls them dogs. He says, beware of those dogs. Watch out for them. But that's what they were doing. They were trying to connect. They were saying, you, you have to, if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to really be uh, who Christ wants you to be, you've got to do it how we do it. So you've got to follow our, the Jewish law. You've got to follow our traditions. You've got to become more like uh, what we are. And it was, this is one of the most damaging things that we can do to people who are just learning to follow Jesus is to wear them out with a bunch of rules that God has actually not called us to follow. It wasn't true then. It's not true now. Paul was telling the Philippians that it was up to each individual. It's up to you as a Christian to figure out how can I live the how can I live in a way that is going to best honor God with my life? What is that going to look like for me as I honor the Lord? That the, the Christian life might be expressed and lived out in a variety of ways. It's not cookie cutter. Not every person looks exactly the same, talks exactly the same, does the exact same things. There have been many times in my life when I, when I have felt so guilty... And I felt like I was maybe half of, half of a Christian because, uh, I, because I have not had uh, the kind of prayer life that I've heard other people having in the way that they do it. And I can remember different times hearing stories of people getting up at 5 in the morning and saying, oh, I just can't go through my day if I don't spend at least two hours every morning in prayer and Bible study, and meanwhile, I, I'm thinking, okay, I was just up half the night with a screaming baby, and there was bottles and diapers, and then I had to drag myself out of bed, kind of splash some water on my face, go to work, come home, and there's more screaming babies and bottles and diapers, and it's like, when am I supposed to fit in? And then, oh, but if you're not, oh, if you're not spending two hours every morning just with the Lord and in prayer and Bible study, you just really can't be a good Christian. And I can remember feeling so guilty about that and thinking, maybe I'm not doing it right. I, I guess I must not be a committed Christian if I'm not doing what they say I should be doing. Paul actually talks about this quite a bit in Romans chapter 14. If you want to go back home later today, you read Romans 14. a whole lot, a whole chapter dedicated to the idea that we should each try to honor God with our lives and we should avoid judging other people's choices. Colossians 2.16 says, therefore no one 
is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He's talking about you know, some of the pagan holidays and particularly one of the issues in the early church was they said, what do we do with food that was sacrificed to idols? You know, if somebody had, you know, when they would put it on a, you know, make a burnt offering, some Christians were saying, well, we, we can eat that food. You know, it didn't mean it. We didn't sacrifice that to an idol. We're not worshiping an idol, but hey, a, a hamburger is a hamburger, you know. And other people are saying, oh, no, 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 you can't touch that because that's, that's like tainted meat. It's, it's, uh, you, you. And, and I think about today, and here we're coming on a time of the year where I, every year about this time I'll have some probably well-meaning, well I assume well-intentioned Christian that says, I would never allow my kids to go out on Halloween night. You dress them up and you let them go out on a satanic holiday. Oh, how could you ever do that? That's so terrible and so horrible. And it's like you're just letting Satan into their life. I'm like, she's dressed up as an angel. Like, <laughs> we got free candy. We're going to hang out with friends, you know. And it's one of, but, and I hear every once in a while somebody say, oh, I'd never have a Christmas tree in my house because don't you know that that was for a pagan holiday and it was this and that, 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 that whatever. And I said, listen, this is, this is what Paul's talking about. He says in Colossians 2.16, don't let anyone act as your judge in regards to these things. You know, we're, it's not idol worship. I'm not worshiping an idol. I'm not saying that, oh, I'm, I'm a Satanist now because we put a mask on and went to, and saw our neighbors on Halloween. That's not what we're saying. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. But all things are lawful for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. So we have to be very careful before we begin to try to pick the speck out of our neighbor's eye when we're dealing with a judgmental, cantankerous spirit. I found a quote on this passage that really spoke to me. It said, when it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, that doesn't mean, here's 900 rules, and if you can keep them, God will be impressed. Work hard to show the results of your salvation means love God with every fiber of your being. Love your neighbor for the same reason that you love yourself. And now spend the rest of your life wrestling with what that means and how to do it. That's freeing to me. Like that, that's exciting to me as I think about that I'm called to walk with God. I'm called to love him, to love my neighbor as myself. And now... I get to explore what that's going to look like as I am honoring God with my life. I love that passage. There's a few things I want to point out here. And I, and I believe that these are great causes for joy in our lives. And as I talk about this topic, you've got to remember, God's Word. God said to us in His Word that where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And he's come to set us free, to break the, the, the curse of the law. So that we're not under, okay, you've got to check all the boxes, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But we, he came so that we might be free. And we need to know, and, and this is what Paul's saying in this verse, number one is that God is for you. Paul said God is working in you. Many of you, you don't know that. Um, others of you, you, you might know it, but you don't believe it. You're not trusting in that. But this truth, it, it really gets tested when troubles and, and trials come. Because when we're suffering, uh, when, uh, when we're struggling, we might be thinking that God is against us. And He's not. 
He's never against you. And, and you've probably heard that statement of people saying, well, I, I, you know, God is punishing me right now. Or God is unhappy with me. That's why these bad things are happening because God is just kind of putting the screws to me. It's not true. God is not against you. Now, the devil certainly is against you. He, he wants to do anything he can to take you down and destroy your life. But God takes pleasure in meeting the needs of the people that he created. You are not a burden to God. I hope that you know that. You are not a burden to the Lord. You are a blessing to God. He, God's heart is a father's heart. My children are not a burden to me. They're a blessing to me. And when my kids, when one of my kids needs something, it's not a burden to me. It's not irritating. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me lose my patience with them because they have a, a legitimate need. I am honored, I am blessed to be able to help them and meet those needs. I, I, I love my kids, but even more than that, God is a loving father to us. He is pleased, he is joyful, he's, he's cheerful to, to forgive you and to love you and to, to seek you and, and to bless you and save you and comfort you and lead you. God is for you. He really truly is. I don't know how many other ways I can say that until it really drives it down into our hearts and we start believing it and we really start trusting it. God is for you, not against you. And that's why Paul says God is working in you. He's working something in you. He is at work in your life. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, God has done some work in you, and he's going to work and continue to work to finish it. Whatever he started, he will bring it to completion. Paul tells those who were in, in Philippi, he who began the good work will see it through to completion. The work that he started, he'll finish. He's not going to leave you or betray you or forsake you or abandon you. What other words can I use? God is for you. He loves you. But the other thing that I, I think we really need to know that will really is a great cause for joy in our life is that God will change your heart. So let me just say, whenever I, whenever I bring up the topic of like, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And, and particularly this topic where Paul is saying, you know, work hard to show the results of your salvation. It's up to each one of us as individuals to figure out how do I honor God with my life? People start getting real nervous. Some people get real nervous because what we're afraid of is we think, well, that means that we're going to choose the wrong things. Like we're not smart enough to figure out and God's spirit is not you know, powerful enough to convict us where we need to be convicted. So we feel the need to say, no, 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 we need a list. Like we need to know, do these things and don't do these other things. We need that because if we don't have that, then somebody's going to go off on a wild tangent. And we forget about this part. This is, this is the secret here. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's going to change you. It is, it's an interesting thing that happens in the life of a person who is following Jesus. What happens? Our desires change. Our hearts, there's something in us. The things that I used to think I wanted or needed to make me happy no longer do it for me. And every once in a while you see somebody that is just kind of struggling in their faith. They're 
sort of waffling back and forth in their devotion to God, and they, they just kind of keep going back out into the world and pursuing, you know, sinful stuff, and they just keep picking up more pain is what they're doing. They go out and they say, well, you know, this will make me happy this time, and it doesn't, and it leaves them more broken and, and more messed up than before, and, they just, and they're in pain again, and they come back and say, okay, I, I need to be forgiven. Like, we know I, I need to be made whole again, but it because of that wavering commitment, maybe they go out again and they pick up more pain and they pick up more pain. But as we're growing and as we're maturing and the Holy Spirit's really at work in our life, our desires change. I have discovered true contentment and satisfaction when I'm following God's will for my life. Not, not the things that I thought that I wanted to do, not the, not the life that I thought I wanted to live, but when I, when I find myself right in the middle of what God wants for me, that's where I am the most at peace and have the most joy. And I don't feel like I need anything else. And I think that's where we're all, we're all trying to scratch the itch. We're all trying to, you know, you ever, there's a show on, on uh, I can't remember what channel it is, but I've, I've, sometimes I'll flip through channels and I, the title caught my attention. It says, The Lottery Ruined My Life. You ever watch that? If you haven't seen it, you ought to check it out sometime. It's fascinating. These people have won millions upon millions of dollars. And we all think, every one of us thinks, oh, what I wouldn't give. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, I'd finally be happy. I'd finally, oh, if I didn't have to worry about this or that or whatever. And these people, story after story after story of people who have, you know, okay, they struck it rich. They've won all this money. And it just destroyed everything. Because what they found out is the thing they thought they wanted turned out to not deliver. There's only one thing in this life that's going to get us what we're looking for, where our hearts, what our hearts are craving, what our soul is like screaming out for is more of the presence of God. It's where I'm in the will of God, and that's where that peace and that contentment and that joy comes from. This has been a, a big shift for me. Because in my story, in my life, as somebody who I, I grew up in church, I grew up there. We went every week. Every Sunday we were there. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and most times on the Wednesday night too, we were there. And, and, and I, I knew the things that I was supposed to do. Because I'd been in Sunday school, and I'd been in youth group, and I'd been at church, and I'd heard the preacher. I knew these are the things that you're supposed to do, and these are the things that you're not supposed to do. If you want to be a good Christian, here's what you do, and here's what you don't do. But here's where I arrived, is I, I genuinely thought, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to, this is, not, this is not one of those nice little things. I'm just kind of telling you a little dark side of myself. But I genuinely thought for a long time that the purpose of following the rules and being a good Christian was because if you did that, then God would do for you what you want him to do for you. That it was like, I, I guess if I, I and, I, and I realized my good Christian behavior was not much more than trying to control God to get what I wanted. I think that drives a lot of us. We think, I, I, I'm not going to do that thing, and because I'm not going to do these things, I'm going to try to follow these rules, then God has to be good to me. And we're missing the point here. God is already for you. He's already loving you. He's already at work in your life. But obedience is critical to following Jesus, not so that we get what we want, but because that's who we're called to be. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. I, I don't know a whole lot of people who say, I love to obey. 
That's like the worst four-letter word in our language, obey. I just don't know many people that want to do that. Maybe that's why not very many of us are like God. It's because we don't like to, we, don't, we have so much trouble with this because what this means is that there are things in your life and there's things in my life that we're going to have to do that we don't want to do. What's the motivation for that? Why do we do it? Paul says this is so important, that we're obeying God with deep reverence and fear. That may sound like a contradiction, because we just talked about, okay, God is for me. God loves me. God, you know, okay, there's freedom and all this. And now I say, whoa, but you've got to obey with deep reverence and fear. How can a God that loves us and saves us and wants to give us peace also expects us to live shaking in fear and trembling with terror? But that's not the case. That's not what he's saying. Fearing God doesn't mean to be afraid of him. It means to respect him. It means to be in awe of him. Paul says, work out our salvation with deep reverence and fear. He means have an attitude of respect and and devotion. That I love the Lord. That's what's motivated. I love him and I want to honor him. I don't want to live a life that's you know, kind of, kind of that he's, he's not pleased with. I want to live a life that makes him smile. And, and Paul, that's what Paul's saying. There's a, there's a mystery to this. We, we think that obedience means less joy. Because if, you're, if your boss comes to you and says, hey, do this, there's probably not much joy coming in your future. Right? I mean, you, you know that. Like, obedience, like if you, okay, you're, somebody in charge of you says, this is what you have to do right now, and you have to obey. You think, well, that's not going to work out really good for me. It equals no fun. But this is not the case with following Jesus. Just like a lot of other things in our faith, it's upside down. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. This is a big glitch for a lot of people. It just, it doesn't compute but, but think about it. You can't enjoy a God that you are not sure if he's for you. You can't, you can't enjoy him. If, if you've got this nagging sense that he's against you and that he's like the, the boss that's just trying to get a little bit more out, of, you know, get a little bit more for his money. Or, well, you know, why don't you put in a couple extra hours, but I'm not paying you overtime. You know, if, if that's your idea of what God is like, that he's always disappointing disappointed in me he's not going to accept me then to try to to muster up delight in God is is not going to be possible that's why Paul's reminding us God is at work in you he is for you he's not against you I love this quote by John Piper he says run to the cross find the forgiveness enjoy the acceptance Look at the beauties of the Lord. Be satisfied in Him. And then let your heart run wild with God-exalting, God-centered desires in this world. It's really a wonderful thing to experience the joy that God wants you to have. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. What He's saying to these people is, I know that there's a lot of people in your life that are trying to tell you that you... If you want to really follow Jesus, you've got to do it like this. He says, don't listen to that. Don't worry about that. Don't be tripped up by these people who who just want to have control and they want to have the edge on you. 
you just go and live the life that God calls you to live. Don't give up on that. You just go out there and you just keep, it's, it's cause and effect. God has saved you, now you work it out. He's working in you, you work it out. You know, that, there's, a, there's a respect and honor for God, and it, it leads to a question that, that gets asked a lot, I think. You know, we're talking theologically. Well, how does this all work? What does God do and what do we do? What's, what's his job and what's my job? And certain traditions, certain backgrounds will say, well, you know, you don't do anything. It's all God. It's all God. It's all God. Everything's all about God. And that's right, okay? I mean, we think about salvation and Jesus' work on the cross. Like, I, I bring nothing to that. You know, when I come to, to Christ, I, I bring nothing but my busted up life. He does all of that. But then we also think about, like, the book of James, who says that, that faith without works is useless. It's dead. So there is, a, there is a part where it's like, well, I do something. So there's some people that say, well, it's all you. You know, and, and that's why you got to check all the boxes. you got to do everything because it's, it's you, 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 and you got to earn your way to heaven. Well, which is it? What, what is it? Is it works or is it faith? Is it God's work or is it my work? They're like, two, they're like pedals on a bike. They work together. They go together. As far as being a Christian, that, all that work is done by God. But the work for us is, am, am, I, am I following Jesus? Am I living out? Am I working out what he's working in me? Because he, he takes your old heart and gives you a new heart. He takes out your old nature, gives you a new nature. He takes out your old will, he gives you a new will. And now the Spirit of God is in you, and God has worked all of this in you. And now you can work it out with him. God initiates and we respond. God saves us and then we grow to be more like his son Jesus. God has given us his word you know, the, the Bible says that the scriptures were written by men who were carried on by the Holy Spirit. As, God, as the Holy Spirit was, uh, was inspiring them and empowering them and speaking through them to write down God's word that we would have it today. He did that and then he sent the Holy Spirit so that we would open it and be able to learn. That we could read his word and understand it. God welcomes us to pray and bring our burdens and our needs. And, we're, and when we pray, we're obeying what God's asked us to do. What God works in, we work out. There's like two pedals on the Christian bike as we move forward in life. And we just keep going. It's, just, it's, it's exciting. It's, a, it's, a, it's wonderful and it's transforming. And it's, so, it's fulfilling in a way, you know, when we think that God, he doesn't just want to make you better. He wants to, he wants to give you joy. He wants you to have that. He wants you to have a joy that the world really can't understand because it's only found in Jesus Christ. I just want to, in the couple minutes I got left, I just want to look at a couple verses here in chapter 2 to close it out. In verse 14, the next verse, he says, Now, now listen, do everything without complaining and arguing. That's a great verse. Talked about that all last week. Talked about grumbling. The humble don't grumble. Do you want deeper joy in your life? Do you want joy? Here's a great key. Stop grumbling. And you actually have the control over that one. There's so many things in life that you and I have no control over. But this you actually can control. You can decide, like, yeah, I'm just not going to grumble. I'm going to stop. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to not do it. No, I just, no, you can stop. Do everything, he says, without complaining and arguing. You say, well, why? Why would we do that? 
uh, you know, we might say, that, well, I guess I don't do that because that's not what Jesus wants me to do, right? That's not what Paul says. He says, no, don't do it because no one wants to hear it. That's why, because we're all sick of it. We're tired of, of hearing about it. Don't complain and don't argue in the next verse so that no one can criticize you. That's what, that was the reason. So that nobody can criticize you, but live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So a couple of things. Number one, you absolutely can stop grumbling and disputing. You do not have to grumble and argue. You don't have to. You really don't. It's up to you. Uh, God gives us joy so that we can enjoy everything else that he's put in our life, which means you don't have to be held captive by complaining. Uh, you, can, you can make a choice that God's going to honor, and, and uh, he'll be pleased when you stop grumbling. But the second thing, you can be blameless and innocent. You really can. You know, when we hear the words blameless and innocent, we think, oh, so I have to be perfect? No, when, did, when was the last time that the definition of innocent meant perfect? If somebody's committed a crime and they say, hey, did you do this? You say, no, I'm innocent. Does that mean that you're perfect? No, I mean, I've done other things. I just didn't do that. Right? That's what he's saying. You can be blameless and innocent. You are, you are in the process of perfection. God is working in you. It's possible. And it's possible to walk with God. It is possible for you to be faithful to your spouse. It is possible for you to love your kids. It is possible for you to be generous with your resources. It is possible for you to serve other people. Those are all things that you can do as you're working out what God's working in you. You're working hard to show the results of your salvation. I'm loving God and I'm loving people around me. And the third thing is you can, absolutely, there's another thing you can do. You can stop being part of a crooked and perverse people. Which generation is crooked and perverse? Like if we were going to say, okay, well, well, who is it? Like, where did, we, where did we screw it up? I know some people that are in here right now, and you're going to say, and somebody after this service is going to say, well, you know what? Honestly, I think things were pretty good until the millennials came along. And they, if, you, if you're going to say that to me after this service, please save your breath. Every generation is crooked. Every generation, every generation is perverse from the moment that Adam and Eve decided to make a fruit salad in the Garden of Eden. The world has been broken and busted ever since. Every generation is crooked, but it doesn't have to be that way for the children of God. You don't have to do what everyone else is doing. You don't have to. You don't have to feel how everyone else is feeling. You can be a child of God without blemish and shine his light. And Paul finishes this section by saying, hold firmly to the word of life. And then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you, this is a great line, says, I want all of you to share in that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. I love that verse. I love that last line. I thought, what a, what a great environment that would be. If you could be in, among a group of people, a place where people share joy, where we celebrate one another's successes, what a good thing to have an environment where people honor one another, where they don't tear each other down, where we look for ways to lift each other up. And what it does is when you do that, you lift people up to the potential that God has for them.
Will you help them to see and understand that you were made for so much more? When God made you, he made you on purpose. It pulls us into the future. And Paul, as he joyfully sits in prison, possibly facing his own death, he knows that God is good and working all things for good. Is that kind of rejoicing is hard, especially on our own. That's why he says, I, w- I, want you to, I want to share my joy with you. I want us to share it together. We're going to celebrate each other. What, what, do you, what do you do? What do you do when life is hard and we are bumping up against things that are stressful and challenging? We go to God, of course. Okay, we say, well, I pray about it. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we do that. But what else? Where else can we go? This is the wonderful, wonderful part of the church. This is why the church exists. This is what I know is true. Sometimes we need help seeing the good. Sometimes we need other people to help us to see what's good. That's the beauty and the mystery and the power of the church. We need a community who can lean on each other when we're having a hard time on our own. Sharing our joy is, is a way that we help others be joyful at the same time. It, it doesn't mean that we're bragging about all the good stuff in our life. It doesn't mean that we're, that we're you know, just talking about how awesome I am. But it's, it's showing others the reasons that we have for rejoicing. Even in the midst of hard stuff, we need help seeing the good sometimes. And so this is something I'd really like to challenge all of you with. As, you know, last week I told you, I said, hey, if you want joy in your life, here's something you should do this week. Is, is uh, don't, don't grumble. Don't complain. You know, look for, look for a way to, to move past that and, and find joy. This week, here's my challenge, is encourage somebody. Find somebody in your life and talk to them or write them a letter or send them a text or something. And just encourage them. Say, man, I see God doing great stuff in you. And see if that doesn't bring some joy in them. And here's a specific challenge for you. you know, We've got Thanksgiving coming up. In, uh, you know, it'd be just around the corner and uh, about a, a month from now. And we all are used to getting together with our family and doing those sort of things. But here's something I'd love for every person in this church to do this year. is the week before Thanksgiving. I would like for you to invite six, seven, or eight of your friends, just some people in your life, and invite them to come over to your house and everybody just bring a dish. You don't have to do turkey and all that. don't have to stretch yourself out. You can get the grill out if you want. But just have a little friend, friendsgiving. Just invite everybody over. Say, bring something. We're just going to come together. We're going to eat. And here's what I would ask you to do specifically. is Before you, before you eat, as you're sitting at the table, would be to, uh, to ask every person to go around and to just mention one or two things that you're really grateful for that God's doing in your life this year. And it always feels kind of corny, right? But you know what happens when you do that? You start, it's amazing how encouraged you are. You start hearing about how God is moving in everybody's life. If you would do that the week before Thanksgiving, say, I'm going to have a Friendsgiving, invite a few of my friends over, and we're going to spend just a couple minutes to just say out loud, here's a couple of things I'm grateful for this year that God's doing, and have a prayer and eat. And just see if you don't feel a little bit of joy. So I, I would challenge you to do that this year. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for... You, you are faithful and you are steady. Lord, help us to trust you more daily as we are, are going through this life and we're pursuing joy and we're seeking these good things in our life that you have for us. Uh, help us to resist the urge, the temptation to, uh, to, to feel like we are not enough or to feel like we've got to 
impress you. I know that your word says that you, you're a God who, who loves us and, and when, we're, when we're living for you and we're, we're seeking you, you, you are well pleased with us. So God, just encourage us today. I pray you just lift us up a little bit. Help us to know that there, there, is, no, there is no place that we could run so far that you couldn't find us. There's no place that we could hide and no shame, no guilt that could keep us separated from your love. Help us to feel that today. Thank you, Lord, for, for caring for us, for, for being the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Especially thank you because I know that very often we're the one. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.